and welcome to a new episode of FI Insight, the Global Financial Institutions Industry Podcast. My name is Chris Muir, and I'm a lawyer from Baker McKenzie's Zurich office, specializing in compliance and investigations, fintech, international tax, and wealth management. This episode focuses on the top operational risks for financial institutions in the coming year and what our clients are seeing and experiencing. Listeners may be interested to know that Baker McKenzie has once again teamed up with Risk.net on their annual ranking of the top operational risks for 2021. Based on a survey of operational risk practitioners across the globe and in-depth interviews with respondents. We'll be looking at these risks and how they've changed in light of not only the experience of the COVID-19 pandemic over the past year, but also in the context of accelerating digitalization and concern for ESG factors. Joining us today are Karen Mann, a partner in Hong Kong and global chair of Baker McKenzie's Financial Services Regulatory Practice, and Jennifer Klass, a partner in our New York office who co-chairs the North America Financial Regulation and Enforcement Practice. So thank you so much for joining us, Jen and Karen. Thanks, Chris. It's nice to meet you. Um, just to introduce myself, I'm Karen. I'm based in Hong Kong. I look after the financial services regulatory practice here. Um, happy to be here. And um, for those of you who don't know me, my practice focuses on um, U.S. regulation, um, generally of financial institutions, including investment advisors and broker dealers. Um, we're part of an integrated regulatory and enforcement practice in North America and part of the firm's global financial services regulatory practice. Great. Thank you. So to get us started... Thinking about the changes we're seeing this year in the market's perception of risk, I'd like to ask each of you to share your perspectives. What do you think of this year's ranking, and is it consistent with what you're hearing from clients? Well, to start with, there is no surprises that IT disruption and data compromise are still at the top of firms' agendas. The last year has seen accelerating digitalization during the pandemic, for example, with the growth of the cloud services. With increased dependency on digital services, even short-lived incidents such as a denial of service can cause significant disruption, reputational fallout, and regulatory exposure. Escalating cyber attacks that increase the risk of data compromise are an indirect consequence of greater interconnectedness in the banking and payments sphere, particularly when IT processes are built on patchy legacy infrastructure. Regulators, such as the Monetary Authority of Singapore, warned that because large-scale remote working is a recent development, the risks may take time to fully emerge. In recognition of such risks, countries are imposing tougher obligations on businesses over the collection, use, sharing, storage, and disclosure of data. Whereas before, data protection regulators might not have brought enforcement action, now they're just as likely to as financial services regulators and can impose substantial fines based on turnover. Another issue worth mentioning is the COVID-19-related impact on staff well-being. The appearance of employee well-being risk for the first time this year reflects the heightened risk around home working during lockdown, on the basis of which many employers have developed special programs. As we move to the new normal, 
financial institutions should be careful not to overlook this duty. Geopolitical risk remains in the top 10. It's a fact of life with cross-border business. We have just seen Europe come through Brexit, which has reduced market access between UK-based and EU-based financial services firms, and where the extent of future equivalence-based access remains uncertain. Political and economic rivalry is increasing between the West and China, and with it, possible protectionism. There's just no easy answers in managing such uncertainties. But financial institutions must identify their vulnerabilities and assess the likely impact. Regulators will, of course, expect these businesses operating in at-risk market to be prepared. But supervisors can also help by liaising with counterparts, offering guidance, and where necessary, providing a degree of forbearance and flexibility to allow financial institutions time to adjust and adapt. Sure. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that this past year has been um, influenced dramatically by COVID and um, the, the the economic and geopolitical response to COVID. Um, and so it's not surprising that we see IT disruption and data compromise as the first two priorities in the top 10 operational risks for 2021. Um, I think the move to a work from home environment um, for most of um, the world's economies has um, has definitely created some stress from the technology perspective and also led to um, higher incidents of cybersecurity and um, compromises with respect to data integrity. And certainly that's an area where not only our clients are focusing in terms of shoring up their controls in those spaces, but also an area of particular focus uh, for the regulators. Um, Similarly, not surprising to see resilience risk as um, the third of the top 10 risks. Um, And that is, I presume, you know, a pretty significant focus on business continuity and ensuring that firms have appropriate redundancies and controls. Um, And then the last one I think is interesting and again, not surprising, but we're seeing across the globe an increase in regulatory risk. Um, I think the regulators are... um, Um, increasingly focusing on ensuring that um, firms and financial institutions have appropriate controls in place internally and um, are identifying a wide range of particular risks that um, some of which are specific to different jurisdictions and some of which are are consistent globally. Um, And I think we'll talk about some of those further in on in the discussion. Conduct risk has risen from seventh place last year to sixth place this year. We tend to associate it with uh, systemic risks such as LIBOR rigging, consumer product mis-selling, market abuse, and continuing money laundering scandals. So in light of the COVID-19 pandemic with stressed markets and new working practices, I expect that regulators globally are paying special attention to this topic. So what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Chris regarding um, conduct risk being the focus of the regulators. Just take Hong Kong as an example. Despite the challenges of 2020, there is a continued focus by the Hong Kong regulators on conduct and culture. 
We can see the focus through speeches to industry bodies, regulatory releases, um, report on the results of self-assessment into culture by financial institutions, and even focus in new areas. For example, um, there is a proposed code, a consultation on, on practice for trust business activities, so on and so forth. So whilst Hong Kong regulators have continued to rank management of conflict of interest and spread charge arrangement as top priorities, it's clear that there will continue to be a multifaceted focus on culture and conduct by the banking and securities regulators into 2021. Let's take the banking sector as an example. Back a couple of years ago, in 2017, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority launched a reform of bank culture through the promotion of a free pillared framework of governance, incentive systems, and assessment and feedback mechanisms. The reform was aimed at encouraging banks to develop a sound corporate culture supporting prudent risk management, incentivizing proper staff behaviors leading to positive customer outcomes and high ethical standards in the banking industry, and lastly, having banks put the interests of depositors and customers in addition to safety and soundness at the center of the pursuit of commercial interest. In 2018, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority introduced the supervisory measures through which these aims were to be achieved by financial institutions, namely self-assessment, focused review, and culture dialogues. In May 2020, it published its report on the review of self-assessment on bank culture, reflecting the findings from a self-assessment program that began in 2019 involving 30 banks. And the banks include all major retail banks and selected foreign bank branches with substantial operations in Hong Kong. These participating banks were required to conduct self-assessment on their culture enhancement efforts and benchmark themselves against the findings of major contact incidents outside of Hong Kong. The review process identifies several common themes to which supervisors encourages more attention to be given by the firms. This includes, for example, more work being needed to ensure incentive systems are designed to promote sound culture and to prevent incidents of misconduct, stronger links to connect Hong Kong operations with the culture efforts of headquarters or upstream entities, as well as downstream operations as appropriate. More work is needed in promoting an environment that provides psychological safety to encourage staff to speak up without fear of adverse consequences. And of course, sustained effort is required in driving culture changes and banks should be mindful of culture fatigue. Yeah, totally agree, Chris. I mean, in the United States, um, financial regulators have long recognized that the tone from the top is critical in terms of shaping the culture of compliance and ethics and risk management within financial institutions. Um, you know, we have historically, and even in 2021, the examination priorities that were released by the Division of Examinations reinforced the concept that um, commitment to compliance at the executive level, and that's that concept of setting a tone from the top continues to be um, integral to an organization's success and um, its commitment at all levels of the organization is critical. Um, 
They've also noted the importance of active engagement by compliance in, in most facets of the firm's operations and early involvement in important business developments, including product innovation and new services. Um, and this is an area that has long been a focus for other regulators in the United States as well. I think what's interesting is that while the tone from the top will always be important within the last several years, um, and really since uh, the middle of 2020, the SEC has focused um, also on the importance of managing conflicts of interest, and their rulemaking agenda reflects that. Uh, they implemented the um, the adoption of regulation best interest or Red BI, which was designed to establish a standard of conduct that applies to broker dealers and their representatives when providing advice to retail investors. Um, that rule became effective in mid uh, 2020 and includes a general obligation to ensure that broker dealers are acting in the best interest of their customers when they provide advice to retail investors. The SEC has adopted a similar parallel interpretation on the investment advisor side. And there's been similar involvement by the Department of Labor in addressing fiduciary standards. Um, and so we see across many of the regulators in the U.S. Um, this focus on not just the tone at the top, but also uh encouraging firms and their investment professionals to ensure through rulemaking that they're meeting their commitments sort of from the ground up. So resilience risk, or put another way, operational resilience is another key industry concern, especially for financial infrastructure such as exchanges, clearers, and payment providers where operational failure is likely to affect financial stability and orderly working of markets. So overall, I'm thinking that financial institutions have performed well during the crisis, but not without incident. So Karen and Jen, what are you seeing with clients? Well, all financial institutions are subject to operational risk. The issue is particularly acute for financial infrastructure providers as failures have a potentially wider impact on financial stability and the operation of the wider market. Moreover, it is fair to say that operational risk and resilience has risen up the list of regulatory priorities in recent years. This can be linked to increasing levels of digitalization and outsourcing in financial services, especially in this subsector. A recent example in the banking payment sphere involved a card issuer offering prepaid and charged cards. Following a technology malfunction by its outsourced card processor, there was a complete failure of IT services for many hours, during which thousands of customers were unable to use their cards. Regulators concluded that the institution lacked adequate processes to identify and monitor these arrangements, especially over their contingency plans during such a disruptive event. Not only was the institution fined, but its reputation also took a significant hit. Therefore, it is vital for financial institutions to strengthen their resilience to such risk. This involves identifying their most important services and understanding systems and processes which support them, including any critical services that are outsourced. 
Additionally, there is a need to understand the impact of a failure, say an outage, and how quickly a system or process can be recovered or substituted. Payment providers were tested by the collapse of a major European payment processor this summer. And in contrast to early stages of the pandemic, exchange groups experienced higher level of disruption to trading in a number of lockdowns in October 2020. However, the picture was broadly positive with regard to resilience during the initial COVID-19-inspired market turmoil, in large part due to the market infrastructure and trading reforms put in place since the 2008 financial crisis. Nonetheless, with digitalization increasing and the way in which services are provided changing, new vulnerabilities are constantly emerging and of most concern, cyber attack incidences are growing. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right, Chris. I think that um, actually there was a lot of positive feedback from the uh, SEC and from other regulators um, to that point that financial institutions did perform better than expected during this ru- the disruption created by COVID-19. And, um, and so I think that that's positive. And certainly COVID-19 has accelerated increasing digitalization um, across the industry in a number of different respects, um, but with increasing reliance on technology, uh, you know, not to perform our functions and to ensure that employees at at all financial institutions are sort of connected together and with their clients, there comes increasing vulnerabilities and additional risks, um, including with respect to cyber attacks. And, um, and so we are seeing, um, as I said earlier, both firms and uh, the regulators really focus on ensuring that financial institutions are reinforcing their controls and, um, and putting in place procedures to try to manage um, that operational risk. And that was also, you know, the other place where that came up in the context of COVID was as a result of the market turmoil, there was an increased uh, trading volume and a lot of um, activity in the market, which also um, put stress on the technology and the market infrastructure. And so that is also another place where or another reason why regulators are focused on operational resilience. Great. So I'd like now to turn to regulatory risk, which has gone up from eighth to seventh place this year. So first of all, I think it would be helpful to clarify what we mean by regulatory risk and then to talk to why we believe financial institutions are paying more attention. Thanks, Chris. By regulatory risk, we are referring to the risk that supervisors will bring investigations and pursue breaches of regulatory standards and rules. So anything from failures in systems and controls over operational risk, market misconduct, conflict of interest, disclosure failures, and so on. In the aftermath of a crisis, it is usual to expect enforcement and compliance activity to increase. An analogy can be made to the tide going out to reveal wrongdoing that was previously hidden by business-as-usual activity. Additionally, stressed market condition and lack of controls may result in a variety of forms of misconduct. Supervisors have referred to experience from past crises, suggesting that in many cases, illicit finance will continue to flow. There is already evidence of increased levels of cybercrime, 
COVID-19-related frauds and scams. It reminds banks and other organizations to take risk-sensitive measures to establish the origin of unexpected financial flows from customers in sectors known to have been impacted by the economic downturn and COVID-19 mitigation measures, such as Laxa KYC for emergency loans. Banks should update their MLTF risk assessment accordingly. In consequence, while activity on regulatory enforcement and compliance investigation is currently low, in part because regulators have been focusing on other priorities, such as ensuring customers are protected, markets continue to function well, financial stability and availability of liquidity. This is changing quickly. Banks, brokerages, etc., in common with the financial sector generally, therefore, should generally maintain focus on their control environment. Regulators were clear that while some regulatory obligations, such as reporting, could be deprioritized last year, this did not apply to AML and conduct issues. Future enforcement and compliance activity should be seen in light of the increasing regulatory scrutiny of the sector, including the holding of individual senior managers to account. One positive observation, though, when comparing the position to 2008, that crisis originated in part because of the misconduct and excesses of the sector that is not relevant today. So the level of regulatory and compliance action may not reach the same level in the years after 2009. Um, I know in the U.S., we are seeing the Securities and Exchange Commission, for example, um, really focus much more on identifying uh, improper disclosures or other potential violations of rules um, through data analytics. And so uh, increasingly examinations and enforcement actions are initiated solely on data analysis um, for matters that are related to issues as diverse as market manipulation and insider trading, financial reporting, issuer disclosures, performance, um, communications, and large trades. And so I think increasingly the SEC staff is relying on data analytics to drive their examination and enforcement programs and will be proactively applying um, those analytics to try to you know root out um, misleading practices or uh, potential violations of rules great and Just to elaborate on this particular item, since you mentioned very interesting points there, do we see these continuing post-pandemic? Yes, I think that um, we we definitely do, uh, particularly in the United States, expect this to continue post-pandemic. I think... um, That's particularly relevant as a result of the change in administration in the United States Um, and the fact that under a Biden administration, we generally expect and anticipate that there will be um, a more aggressive um, both examination and enforcement program. Well, I must say in Hong Kong, the pandemic was not the real driver of regulatory scrutiny. It certainly enhanced the speed with which regulators approved new methods and technologies and encouraged the use of remote onboarding techniques. 
I mean, but these initiatives, along with the encouragement of RegTag and SubTag development, have been in place for some time. Um, other drivers, I would say, include um, changes in FATF recommendations and the need to close perceived gaps in regulation. Consumer protection concerns have been increased, and that together with the numerous high-profile ram and dump cases in Hong Kong, along the volatility in the crypto market. Um, in my view, these concerns will continue as the regulators need to ensure that they act to prevent regulatory arbitrage, ensure the market is operating appropriately, and ensure that they are up to date. Would operational risk factor in developing future ESG sustainability strategies? Well, I mean, if I look at Hong Kong, right, Hong Kong is still um, commencing a consultation on ESG sustainability-focused regulatory requirements, and that's for investment manager, but the conclusions are yet to be released. Given that there is currently no formal regulatory requirement, this does represent a potential area where investment managers and others may for example, have to do a gap analysis to compare any processes and procedures that are followed outside of Hong Kong by head office and consider whether they are fit for purpose for use in Hong Kong under the new regime. Alternatively, they need to develop brand new processes and procedures. And as with anything new, there is an inherent risk that errors will be made in implementation. I mean, that's the experience for Hong Kong. And I think as ESG regulatory um, uh, requirements are developing in different jurisdictions, um, we expect to see similar issues or risk that may arise when, when um, financial institutions start to implement their ESG strategies. I think ESG generally is going to be um, an area of particular focus um, globally, but, but also in the U.S. And so for regulatory risk, um, the SEC has identified uh, ESG and sustainability as one of their key priorities. In part, that's a result of the fact that it's a key priority of the Biden administration. Um, they're very focused on climate change and racial equality. And um, that leads directly to uh, ESG. From an SEC perspective, we expect that they will be focusing on inaccurate disclosure related to ESG practices, um, inappropriate sales practices, uh, deceptive greenwashing, for example, that exaggerates the ASG qualities of a particular investment or um, claims that a particular investment was not suitable uh, based upon uh, ESG characteristics um, or that broker-dealers or investment advisors didn't uh, conduct appropriate due diligence in the investments that they promote and sell. And within the last few weeks, really since the end of February, the SEC has put out a number of different statements um, and policy uh uh, you know, initiatives relating to ESG, both on the rulemaking side as well as on the examination and enforcement side. Uh, so it will be con continue to be a key priority and something that um, our public company and financial institution clients should should definitely be focused on. Great. So looking ahead, do you foresee future risks that financial institutions need to prepare for? 
Um, absolutely. I mean, there are always future risks that financial institutions need to prepare for. Um, I think it's really a function of, um, as we've talked about, looking at it holistically in terms of the opportunity. Uh, operational risks and um, resilience, um, looking at it from the perspective of uh, product development and um, thinking about, you know, the considerations associated with various products that firms are, um, are promoting and offering to the marketplace. And that's certainly where ESG comes into play. And then lastly, as we've talked about from a technology perspective, um, ensuring that um, firms, you know, continue to focus on that as a priority um, and make sure that they're address- addressing the the data security and privacy and um, cybersecurity risks associated with technology. I think given digital transformation is really um, an, a trend and actually a requirement as a result of pandemic, uh, operation risks that arise and relevant for digital offering uh, would be something that financial institution would need to be prepared for. And that includes remote onboarding, uh, enhanced AML, KYC, uh, monitoring cybersecurity risk, uh, and and not to overlook record-keeping requirements as well. Great. Thank you so much. These really give us a great perspective on operational risk for financial institutions. Thank you so much, Jen and Karen, for joining us today. And thank you so much to our listeners. If you have found this podcast helpful, you may be interested to know that a special edition of the top 10 operational risks published by risk.net is available on bakermckenzie.com, which discusses the themes from this podcast and contains features on the importance of getting technology change right, and also on dealing with heightened operational risks in a changing world. As a reminder, Baker McKenzie has produced a series of podcasts relating to the theme of resilience, recovery, and renewal in the light of COVID-19. We will also be releasing trends-focused podcasts in line with the ongoing series, Finding Balance. My name is Chris Muir. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you find us for the next episode of FI Insight.